It's the Hoffman Show on the Team 980, always live as well on the free Odyssey app. Clinton Yates, you do not want to miss him, coming up at 5.30. Right now, though, let it let us get extremely nerdy. Um, I told you, we're going to have to talk to a lot of different people today. Uh, Adam Tusk, by the way, of NBC4, their, their transportation reporter is going to join us later as well. But right now, an economist? Yeah. An economist, it's time for Not My Beat. Today's top story, from the perspective of someone who's there. You are looking live. This just in. Not My Beat. For more on this, we bring in uh, really one of the experts of the experts on it, at least from the economic side of it. Andy Zimbalas has been writing about the intersection of sports and economics for 30 years, uh, including how stadiums uh, have affected sports or sports. You know, sports stadiums have affected local economies, all of those types of things. Uh, he's a professor. He's a published author. And uh, somehow he's wound up uh, on, on a uh, December afternoon on a sports radio show. Andy, thanks so much for your time. appreciate it. Good to be with you. So to start, I would like to kind of define what we're talking about here uh, when it comes to the, you know, obviously the, the, the reason we're talking about this is we have a basketball and hockey team moving out of the District of Columbia to Virginia. And Perhaps. the economic consensus is that stadiums are bad. Like, that's the, the very top-line item. Stadiums are bad for economies. They don't actually provide the economic boost that is often promised by politicians. So how do you define that economic boost? What what Like, whose economy are we talking about here? A city budget versus what fans spend versus, you know, obviously Ted Leonsis is doing it for a reason as the owner of these teams. He's got his own personal economy he's worried about. So we talk about the economic side of it. What, what is the economy that we're talking about? Well, really, you could, we could do any one of those three things. We could look at its impact on fans or the impact on Ted Leonsis and his teams or the impact on D.C. and Alexandria. So all of, all of those are, are game for, for analysis. Um, I, I think when stadiums are getting built, or arenas are getting built, I think the more common question that gets asked by the media is what impact is it going to have economically on the city, mm -hmm. uh, either either D.C. Or, or Alexandria or even the state of state of Virginia. Um, most of the economic analysis that's been done on that question does suggest, as you had indicated, that uh, there's there's not much gain to be made by by having a new a new team or a new facility in your area. I, I think even though that's the, the basic conclusion in the general case, that there have been some cases uh, where there's a lot of private financing and where there are certain synergies between the development program and the city's needs, it's possible that you could have positive budgetary impact whereby the, the city budget will generate more revenue than it will generate costs. It's possible, but it's not typical. And so I think the the sagest advice one could give to a city is to be extremely cautious and careful as you put down your, your assumptions and your numbers and make sure that when you're lining up presumed investments from developers that uh, you've, you've lined them up with a contract rather than simply a letter of agreement or a memorandum of understanding. 
I was actually reading earlier today out of the Washington Post archives when the MCI Center, as it was called at the time, opened uh, in the early 2000s and how Abe Poland put $200 million of his own money. There was about $60 million in public funds. Is that looked at as one of those potential success stories, the the origin of this building uh, that is now Capital One Arena um, and, and how it changed D.C. Is, is one that can work if there's the right amount of private investment? It's, it's conceivable that... that- you, you could make that argument for the MC, the old MCI center. Um, in addition to Abe putting up a larger share of money than, than is typical, uh, he also accepted lease terms, which were unfavorable to his team. Um, and, uh, you know, and this is something that Leonsis has been complaining about for years. He doesn't really have a right to complain about it, by the way, because when he bought, when he bought, well, it was back, there was, I think it was still the bullets when he bought it. Um, what's now the Wizards, when he bought it, th- those unfavorable lease terms, and Leonsis says it costs him $36 million a year. I'm not sure that's the right number, but he's paying a lot of money to stay in that stadium or that, that arena. Uh, those unfavorable arena terms impacted the price that he was paying for the team. So he paid a, lo- a lot lower price than he otherwise would have. If, if he had the deal that he says everybody else has, where they're paying 3 or $4 million a year for their arena, then he would have had to pay more for his team. Uh, so he's, he's already benefited from, from a lower price. And now he wants both the lower price and the, the lease terms that, that he says other teams have. So, uh, you know, in, in this case, and at this point, I think it's very hard to make an assessment, economic assessment of the economic impact because they simply haven't released very much information. They're making the claim that the additional financial obligations that the city is taking on and the state is taking on, they're making the claim that those obligations will be covered by additional revenue that will be generated by the activity, but they haven't said what assumptions they're making. They haven't given us any details whatsoever. Uh, and we know from other cases that uh, the, these, uh, the, these mixed public-private partnerships uh, have a lot of question marks. Uh, so, for instance, they're talking about a special tax zone. Special tax zone is one where you designate a certain geographic area, and then you say any additional tax revenues taken from that area will go to finance the debt service on the bonds that were issued in order to finance the construction. The problem with that, or the problem that there may be with that, is that some of the new activity that comes to this zone might be activity that moved from elsewhere in Alexandria or from elsewhere in Virginia. And so other, other parts of, of the city are going to be generating less tax revenue, even though the special tax zone will generate more. But in Met, what the city cares about is its overall resources. And the resources uh, might not increase in that case. They go down in part A of the city, but they go up in part B. What's, what's the net? Uh, so we have to know a lot more to be able to assess something like that. Uh, that leads to kind of one of the big questions, I think, specific to these teams moving. And also when we're talking about the Commander Stadium, as we're joined by Andy Zimbalist, economist, author uh, with us here on the Hoffman Show. Um, how different is the calculation for the DMV, D.C., Maryland, Virginia? Because unlike when the 49ers move from San Francisco to Santa Clara or the, the Warriors move from Oakland to San Francisco, they're still within the state of California. Going from the District of Columbia to Maryland, does that change the calculus for the jurisdictions involved? Sure, it changes it somewhat. Um, it's, it's probably not the case that every dollar that was spent 
um, in DC on the Wizards and, and the Capitals. Not every one of those dollars will now leave DC and go to Virginia. Uh, but a large share of them will, I, you know, so for instance, if, if I'm, if I'm a basketball fan, but I'm, I'm not a rabid basketball fan. And on Friday afternoons, I like to, or shoot Friday evenings. I like to take my, my son to a wizards game. Um, and, and, and now because the wizards aren't there anymore, but I still, I live close to the, that area in Northwest DC. And, and I, I want to do something with my son that night. Maybe I'll take him to a bowling alley. Maybe I'll take him out to dinner. Maybe I'll take him to a movie theater. So I don't necessarily take the $200 I would have spent at a Wizards game uh, and then move that and spend it in Virginia. I might spend it on other entertainment venues in, in D.C. So it's, it's but so we don't know a priori or beforehand. We don't know um, how many people would behave like me in that example. Uh, so what, what percent of the money will be relocated to other entertainment venues within D.C. as opposed to the same people who went to see the Wizards in D.C. are now going to go to Alexandria. We don't know the answer to that. It's it's probable it's probable that the answer is that a large chunk of that those dollars will be lost by DC and they will go to Alexandria, Virginia. So one of the things that you've written about um, that I've seen others in this space write about as well is the opportunity cost, which is also impossible to measure. But sometimes we get to see an example like Turner Field in Atlanta. It, it gets moved on from uh, in a very controversial way uh, to, to Cobb County, uh, northern suburban Atlanta. And all of a sudden, the area around Turner Field that was kind of a nothing outside of the games is revitalized in a way where there's housing and supermarkets and all those kinds of things. Um, so if you look at what that space in DC could become, like what what are the what are the alternate options if there's not going to be an arena there? And how does like the budgets in terms of some of the other things that people bring up with DC education, et cetera? How are those things all intertwined? What what could happen? Uh, and and how the budget allows for those things to move. Well, Leonsis owns the arena, as I mm. understand it, uh, and he's although he does said, so he has a land lease on it, um, but owns the the space above ground. Yeah, right, and, right. And his, he has articulated a plan that he has to bring the WNBA Mystics to to the arena, um, and he has he says he has some other thoughts about other events too, so that he could. Conceivably, he could still have 200, 220, some similar number events there a year, and uh, it could still be serving a you know pretty functional purpose, even if it generates, uh, say, five five million dollars less in, in city tax revenue, ticket ticket tax revenue, which is I think roughly what would happen. Uh, it's not an enormous loss for Washington for this to happen. It's a loss, but not an enormous loss. Um, so it depends upon uh, how much energy and resources Leonsis is willing to put into finding alternative uh, programming for for the down, the DC the DC arena. Um, if if uh, Leonsis concludes after several years of trying to have alternate programming that it's not paying off, um, and then it, it, it's hard to imagine that arena being repurposed for some other economically viable purpose and and more likely that uh land land or ur urban real estate in downtown dc is very very valuable and you'd have to find some uh you know better use better use of that of, of that land and that would probably entail knocking down the arena um have you seen a difference in suburban arenas and the economic impact versus urban 
there aren't that many modern suburban arenas. Uh, the, the era of the suburban arena was the 60s and the 1960s and 1970s. Uh, since, since 1992, when Camden Yards was built, and Larry Lucchino showed us a model that basically said, if you put your, your sports facility next to the downtown business community, that you'll be able to attract this new type of clientele, which is basically business people who, you know, work until 530. At the end of the day, they, they, if the stadium is, is walkable distance or nearby, uh, they, they walk with their colleagues to the stadium. They go to, they go to um, a, a restaurant or a bar in the stadium. They have some drinks. They eat some, eat some delicious food, and then they stay and watch the, watch the game. Uh, that's a model that Lucchino basically brought to us, brought to the sports world that everybody has followed since 1992. Uh, and it's been a very productive model. Uh, now, if, if what happens is that as a result of the, the emergence and the rapid growth of remote work, people aren't going into the office anymore, or say half the people that used to go to downtown offices aren't going anymore, then that model becomes vitiated. It's, it's, a, it's a weaker model than, than it used to be. Now, if that happens at the same time, and this is one of the things that you raised the, the Cobb County case with the Braves, mm-hmm. um, one of the things that tends to be true about suburban land is it's further away from um, concentrations of, of residential areas and it's further away from business concentrations. And so the land tends to be less expensive than center city land. Uh, and so if, if you combine the possible effect of, of remote work with cheaper land, it might be the case, again, as what happened in Cobb County, um, it might be the case that we get a reversal. And the, the trend that started to happen in, in the 80s and 90s of uh, central city construction uh, might, might start to reverse itself or at least present a more mixed picture. Andy Zimbalist, uh, he's an economist, an author, a professor uh, with us here on the Hoffman Show for another minute or two. And, and really the last kind of topic I want to touch on uh, with you, Andy, is the, the non-monetary impact of this. And, and I'm sure you know, the nature of an economist is you're always trying to put a number on something um, because that's, otherwise you can't quantify it. Uh, that's, that's the point. Um, but you know, when you go to a movie theater, for instance, I've used this analogy a couple of times today. If you go to a movie theater, you don't expect a return on your investment. You expect to go see a good movie. So the idea that going to a sporting event would cost something is is fine, even if you pay some of that in taxes or however we pay that as citizens. So is there a way to measure kind of the the social impact of this, of a basketball team that is beloved in a city um, and, and also the hockey team, but specifically to the District of Columbia, the basketball team leaving and kind of the emotional gut punch of that, how to quantify that if you try to quantify that? Yeah, well, that's a complicated question, and I'd be happy to talk about it for the next two or three hours. <laughs> we Great. Uh, all right. So, this is now well, the Andy Zimbala uh, show. <laughs> right. Um, you know, there, if you go to, you raise the question of going to a movie, and let's mm-hmm. say that it costs $10 to go to a movie where you're living. Uh, well, then you can't quantify it. You know that the value that, that, that I, I receive for going to the movie when I buy a $10 ticket, it's at least $10. I might get some surplus. Maybe I'm, it's four, it's, I get $14 of pleasure. Yeah, out you of love it. the movie, right? But I know that 
maybe maybe I'm, I'm anticipating at least a $10 return. There is a methodology that's used. I'm not crazy about it. It's called contingent valuation methodology. And basically what it is is a fancy survey technique where you go and you ask people, how much money would you be willing, how many additional dollars of tax would you be willing to pay if you could keep the wizards in D.C.? Um, and on the basis of a survey like that, you can generate some estimates of what the psychic or community value is. But I think, as, as your question suggested, I, I, look, I think in reality what's going on with a sports team, at least has historically gone on with sports teams, is that it helps create community. It's something that brings the community together. You can talk about it over the water cooler at work. You could be at a stadium and the, you know, the center fielder on your team hits a home run in the bottom of the ninth and you win and you turn to the guy or the woman next to you and you high five them, even though you never saw them before in your life. Why is that? Because you're all rooting for the same team. You're all part of the community. And even though it might not be the most profound expression of community that you can imagine, um, it's something that's gratifying and fun to be part of a community like that. And so, yes, those, those, elements, those elements of value are certainly there uh, from a sports team. And I think those same elements of value justify to some degree uh, some public support for, for stadium building. Uh, what's unfortunate is that uh, we're, we're in a situation, and it's exemplified now with, with Virginia and D.C., uh, we're in a situation where there's open competition between two cities uh, to retain a sports team. And why do, the, why do the sports teams or Leo, Ted Leonsis get to have that happen? Because in, in the NHL and the NBA, they're monopolies and they restrict output in order to get better value for their output, higher prices. Um, and this is what Leonsis is benefiting from here. And this is what other owners throughout, throughout the professional sports have benefited from historically. Yeah, um, man, there's so many other things that I would love to, to talk. We could go talking about this stuff for hours. Uh, you know, Leon says just got a bunch of money from the Qataris and then he's asking public money. And then there's, you know, the, the larger economic uh, forces at play, you know, pandemic adjacent and not just kind of trends of different things since the seventies really um, in terms of, you know, the billionaire class versus the rest of us trying to buy tickets. Uh, but perhaps we'll save those for another day. Uh, Andy, this was so insightful. Thank you so much for your time. It's great. You want to talk about Otani's contract? I would love to talk about Otani's contract. That, that honestly, that was what I was planning on doing in part today. Is like, hey, are we still cool just going to baseball games, rooting for guys making seventy million? And must it be nice to be able to defer sixty-eight million a year down the road because you're making you so much? What's important to, to understand, um, and and not many not many sports journalists have have really understood this, is when you take the present value of what he's getting paid, where mm. sixty-eight million a year for the last ten years after he's done playing, deferred right. money. If you take the present value of that, it turns out to be something on the order of $37 million a year or, or a total of $370 million. So they're talking about this you know, record-breaking contract, which it is in nominal terms, but because it's spread so far into the future, the current value of it is actually below the, the value that Trout got or the, the value that, that Judge got. Um, I know there's also tax so It's an awful lot of well. money, to be sure. Yeah. It's an awful lot of money. Uh, but not only not only is the, does that situation lower the actual value of it, but it's also the case that it helps the Dodgers a great deal because they don't won't have to pay as much luxury tax. So right. there's, there's a lot of kind of economic fine points that uh, are behind this that I don't think have been fully assessed yet and, and understood. Well, I also know that there's he can kind of 
fuddle with the taxes as well? Because if he is retired at that point, which you'd presume that's he would not, be see, based that's, also a that's a misapprehension. That's it's, not true. So he, he has still gets- state, state, ta- states charge taxes on money that's earned in the state. It doesn't mm-hmm. matter if it's if you get paid the next year or not. If you earn the money while you're playing in the state and he'll he'll play 81 games a year um, at, at Dodger Stadium. He'll he'll play about right. seven or eight or nine games a year um, in, in San Francisco. He'll play the same amount in San Diego. Um, and so he'll end up getting about maybe 65% of his money from playing in California, uh, he'll have to pay California high income taxes, okay. which are 13.3%. Um, but he'll have to pay them whether he gets that money in, in 2024 or 2034 right. or 2042, um, whether he's living in Tokyo or he's living in Miami or he's living in Los Angeles, he's got to pay them anyway because the money was earned while he was playing in Los Angeles. Gotcha. Uh, so the jock tax can't escape it is what we've learned. Uh, it's not, even, it's not easy. Maybe, maybe they're going to try a, a new technique, but it's yeah. unlikely that, um, that Newsom and his, and his colleagues will allow that to happen. <laughs> uh, there you go. Learn something else that we didn't even plan on. Uh, thank you so much for your time. Uh, greatly okay, appreciated. Pleasure. Thank Good you. To talk to you. My pleasure. All right, that is uh, Andy Zimbalist, who is an economist, a professor at Smith College, uh, and is here, published author, studied all this stuff. Really fascinating insight from him. Uh, now, he was one of the people that I really wanted to talk to today, but uh, the man who will join us next is the person that I wanted to talk to the most, find out who it is and why, and hear their insight next. It's the Hoffman Show on the Team 980, and always live on the free Odyssey app. The Hoffman Show on the Team 980, always live on the free Odyssey app. We are a uh, one-topic show today. We are talking, of course, about the move of monumental sports as teams, the Capitals and Wizards, probably to Potomac Yards. This is a non-binding deal. And when this story broke, there was one person I wanted to talk about it, someone who lived in D.C. for 40 years, someone who shaped my view of D.C. sports as much as anybody because he, I'm lucky to call him one of my best friends. Uh, he also commentates on sports professionally, but has covered D.C. Metro as well back in his days for the Washington Post, uh, Washington Post graduate, ESPN's uh, and uh, frequent Hoffman Show guest. It is a Wednesday. It just ho- so happens. You'd be coming on the show today no matter what. But ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, Clint Yates. What's going on, Gregory? I really appreciate the kind words. And yeah, this one hits home pretty hard, so much so that I decided to wear my Le Boulet shirt for this interview yeah. for those of you who are not tuned in on youtube i am wearing an old school red bullets shirt sir because your yes. boy has been to the capital center quite a few times yeah i was gonna say uh, i'm glad you told people that it was a bullet shirt because while i have gotten through enough french and duolingo to understand the <laughs> le boulet uh reference there i don't anticipate everyone has okay so i do not want to lead the witness if you will yeah. you see the news this morning you see leontis and yunkin um etc cetera, etc cetera. what is your reaction to this from whatever angle that you want to attack it from well my first reaction was this feels like a real attempt at a power play from theodore that i'm not sure i understand the necessity of and i don't we can get really granular with all the business and land deals, and I don't necessarily know that we have to, but on a basic level, I think that Theodore is grandly underestimating people's willingness to dislike him. And I think that that matters for a couple different reasons. Number one is that 
that's always been a big part of who he is. Being popular was always very important to him. And I think almost to a fault that has kind of gone the other way. And number two is that there are people that will walk away from the wizards. Like let's be clear about that from an NBA franchise standpoint. And the caps are a different discussion. We can sort of parse that to the side as are the mystics, but I think that if you're thinking about the NBA because of the town that DC is in terms of being a basketball town in the lifeblood, the idea of moving the NBA squad out of the city based on a land deal just feels like such a massive disconnect from the reality of what sports fans really want in this town, never mind as an experience, but as a product. And I just, I really hope that for whatever Theodore thinks that this is going to be, that quite frankly, it works for him because I haven't seen one single person who cares about basketball, who cares about the Wizards, and who cares about DC, who has said, yeah, this is a good idea. Not one. You know what I mean? And that alone on simple anecdotal evidence, never mind my own knowledge and brain trust about the situation, is enough to tell me, yikes, off the rip. Yeah, I, I, to me, it's so complicated. Um, but the simplest part of it is exactly what you just said. Like the, the heart and soul of the matter, the feelings, the emotions, which is what makes sports so great, is that it sucks to see a basketball team leave a city, and yeah. especially a city like D.C. with such a – like. Part, one of the things that I have written down in my notes for today to discuss and parse out is the fact that the Wizards have been largely irrelevant in the NBA for 40 years. Like, what level of impact does that have on this? Because, you know, we can talk about the economics, but the economics change if they're good. So, like, you know, he can complain all he wants about the investment and in, in the area and all that kind of stuff. But he hasn't put a competitive team out there except for whatever level of competitiveness Karan and that crew was uh, in, in Arenas uh, back in you know, what the early 2010s. That was over 10 years ago at this point. That's as close to competitive as he has gotten a team here since he started owning the team 25 years ago. And that seems like a relevant plot point as well. And I also think it's interesting that they're doing this in the aftermath of hiring Michael Winger and Will Dawkins to run the team, who now it feels like they have, by the way, a clock on them. You better have a competitive team by 2028 when you open this new arena. Yes. And the reason why it's also particularly puzzling is because it's like, how did you ever expect people to like you or care about this product to begin with if they weren't good? That's the whole thing is that it was cashing in on a certain love of the game that I don't think Ted earned. Quite frankly, that love of the game had nothing to do with anything that he built. It had nothing to do with anything that was a part of his process being the principal owner of this team. They drafted John Wall when he got there. And guess what? They threw him out on a rail, too. Like, do you think people have forgotten about that? Do you think you can just dismiss people that everybody likes and expect people to come up and still enjoy the product? Phil Chenier and Steve Buckhands, shouts to y'all. I'm talking about them, too. These are the kinds of mistakes and misunderstandings of your own fan base that lead you to positions to think that it's reasonable to just walk away because people aren't trying to to 
consume your product in the same way. Like this is obvious, even to the most basic person that, yeah, you've got to have a good NBA team there or else none of this works. That is the fundamental tenet of the entire situation. Of course, the Capitals won a Stanley Cup. Of course, it worked out for the arena, but that's still the NHL. The NBA is the league making money hand over fist, not named the NFL in this country and has the highest sort of likability quotient, particularly for towns at which the football team may or may not be the biggest deal in town. In this case, it happens to be. This is what happens, Craig, when you spend all your time competing for headlines with other owners in the city. And then when it comes up that they are actually doing other things, all of a sudden you've actually got to produce as the person that has a product on hand. That is what has not happened. And so there's an unfortunate circumstance of those two things coming together at the same time. In addition to that, and I don't want to get anybody in trouble because I know how this business works and I know the buildings that you're in. But the idea that once he decided he was going to try to start taking over media companies became clear. It was evident to me that the message message control element was a much bigger deal to him than anything that had to do with the product actually being produced. And that to me was the first downfall of what ultimately I think all of this is. And it's still indicative in how all of this goes. Bro, you had to know that this was going to be a disaster and nobody was going to turn around and say, okay, just because gallery place and downtown DC isn't what it is post pandemic means that that's a good enough reason for you to bolt. That is just a ridiculous assessment of the situation to me. And number two, he owns the building. This is the risk that you incur when you do this. The whole idea that it should be by default and 50-50 risk assessment between a city and an owner is what's flawed. And so when people start talking about how, well, I mean, of course he should leave. That's the whole deal. He should have a, you know, he should have a right to make money. Yeah, but dude, you're a billionaire. The whole point is that you're providing something to people that other people cannot equate to. And you're the one that gets to do that. You provide the fun part. Of course, there's more risk to be more risk to be taken on. And of course, sometimes it's not always going to be great. The idea that you should be allowed to pop around from place to place in a particular region just to maximize profits. Like, yeah, OK, but some of us aren't. I hate to use this pun, that big of capitalists. Some people just want to see a product that is consistent and in a place that they like because that's what the fun part is ultimately because, again, it's just sports. Clint Yates with us, of course, ESPN, Around the Horn, Anscape, ESPN.com, uh, also ESPN Daily. Uh, make you. sure you check out the podcast, uh, you know, daily. Um, <laughs> there's so much to unpack there um, with Leonsis and, and with all of this. So let me keep going on that that thought process yeah. before we circle to another element of this and what I think has been an unpopular take for me over the last 24 hours that I'm curious to get your thoughts on. Okay. The Leonsis piece in terms of the money, I find, I don't know if appalling is too strong or it's actually the right word. This dude in June just got investments from the Qataris. And to me, if you're getting, if you're the first owner in on the NBA's loosening of, hey, cool, we're allowed a small percentage of non-controlling, uh, you know, a non-controlling interest in yeah. a franchise for a, a sovereign wealth fund, and you go into business with not the most savory of governments, if you know anything about how the Qataris just put on the World Cup, where somewhere between five and 7,000 people died, uh, most whom were basically slaves um, that they imported from other countries. Um, yeah, it's not great. And then you come and ask DC, who is struggling financially in a tremendous way for $600 million. Like, 
I again, from a business standpoint, can I fault him from going to Virginia because they're willing to to give him some money and, and work with him in a different way? No, but like I do think there's a lack of reading the room here, and it goes by the way to your piece on monumental as a network as well. Like I don't I don't have a problem saying it. Yeah. Um, you're not going to get anybody in trouble in this building. Um, our friends who work over there, you know, they they understand the score. Um, and I don't begrudge them for taking the checks because I'm sure Ted pays all right. Right. Um, but at the end of the day, like there does seem to be either a misread of the room, but I actually don't think it's a misread of the room. And I think he cares. He just cares about the money more. And it, and it comes down to priorities versus like, oh, he doesn't care or he's not smart enough to realize it. No, he's plenty smart enough. It's just his priority seems to be the money. On top of that, what's unfortunate about that is that that would be fine if it felt like he cared a little bit more about what's actually happening on the court or on the ice. And what's going to happen with ESA as well? Like all of a sudden the mystics are moving back to Caparedia. All of a sudden that where the city poured in a bunch of money to rebuild that, that just becomes yeah, so the go-go can play there. We like, don't exactly we know what, you know, it's like, dude, you can't just move in a vacuum based on your whims about the rent of one particular or the land lease of one particular building. Like I, I just, it's kind of unfathomable to be unfathomable to me. You talk about appalling. That's the word I would use that like, this is really just about the money. Like I'm, I'm sorry if that, if that's what you're going to say, this is all this is, well then don't tell me that you named the team, the go-go because you were trying to connect with the community. Don't tell me that all these other efforts that you try to, I don't want to say propagandize, but sell. Bro, they are unveiling the boundary stone court like tonight. They're all, they, and I will say this, they have done a really good job. I think the Wizards specifically have done a better job than any of the other teams of being like, we belong to the district, right? Or like, yes, of course we care about everybody in the DMV, but like, Hey, this is basketball. This is DC. This is the district. And now they're gone. They're literally selling jerseys at this moment that say those words on the front. Like I just, I, you know, and at some point you think to yourself, man, is this really going to be how we find out that the emperor has no clothes? Because ultimately the product that everybody wants is to be able to gather and root for the home team in a way that brings everybody together in the simplest manner possible. This is not rocket science. This is not even rocket surgery to quote a funny movie. It's just, if the greed becomes so obvious, it doesn't even matter if it makes sense because the only thing it makes sense to is making more cash. And for all of you fans who get caught up in being so aligned to a franchise that you seem to think that the things that make more money for the owner are in the best interest of you by default, that's a scary thought. What you want as a fan is the priority to bring you the most joy. Doesn't seem like this is doing it for anybody that I've asked or anybody that's told me. So I will ask one more question along that line, and then I want to get to what it means for the city. Mm -hmm. um, are, is there a chance, this is a little bit devil's advocate, but also I think a logistically fair question. Is there a chance we're overreacting here that at the end of the day, like it's, it's Metro accessible. It's like five extra stops on the yellow line. Um, you know, as, as Ted said, like they call it national airport and everyone thinks of it as DC's airport, but it's in Virginia. Like, it's really not that far. So is there a chance that in 2028, we're all like, oh, this is this is fine. And the fact that they do have a world-class practice facility and better whatever could actually benefit the team in the long run. And, and 
the imaginary lines on the ground that obviously have very real consequences, um, but someone drew them there. They, they weren't, there's no whatever in the way. I yeah. guess it's a river. Um, yeah. But like that, that the, the, the border is actually not that big of a deal and that it, because it isn't that far, it's still Metro accessible, et cetera, that a bunch of people who live in DC and Maryland are shouting and all the Virginia fans are like, Hey, actually this is better for us. And it's just serving a slightly different part of the DMV in terms of accessibility. My friend, all of that may be true, but that little boundary you called the river is quite frankly a major psychological hurdle for a lot of people in the area that must be taken seriously, something that's easy to understand if you've been here for all of five seconds. like Or you follow any of the DC yeah. <laughs> dating meme accounts. This is what I'm saying, bro. People are not crossing that river even for the holiest of the holy, so to speak, you know? And I'm look, what I'm saying is that, yes, it might be an overreaction in the context of in a strict, if we're playing a board game way, but in the reality of what's on the ground, ripping the NBA franchise out of downtown DC as an experience to Potomac. Yard. When was the last time you went to Arlington or Alexandria, Craig? Um, probably, a, I, I, I wound up, wind up in Arlington, you know, three, four times a year, at least Alexandria once or Are twice. Are you hearing the verbs you're using? You wound up there. You know what I'm saying? Like just, just that yeah, word but like alone. I go, it just depends. I'm also someone who thinks that people generally like unpopular opinion here. I think people way undervalue like DC folks should explore more of the DMV. This like, isn't is just about DC folks. This is about Maryland folks who won't go to Virginia either. And Virginia folks who won't go to Maryland. This is all interconnected. My point is, is that Okay, Potomac Yards ain't that great. And to get to the airport point, people go to the airport to leave town, not to enjoy what's around the airport. That that analogy doesn't even make right, sense. Right, but the point is that that it's not far. Then and people think of it as like, oh yeah, that's the DC airport versus the suburban Dulles. Yes, but it's and, not far because of the nature of the building. Not because it's not far if you're gonna be there, I just say 40 times a year when you don't live anywhere near it. And look, I get it. Virginia fans could probably fill in a lot of the people that weren't going anyway, but I just don't think in general it's that good of an idea. Never mind all of all, all of how I feel about the cultural element of it. So yeah, listen. Do I think Potomac Yards or whatever insert made up name we have here has the right to national landings? Apparently oh, my being God. Floated. Right. Exactly. Amazon and all these other places. Do they have the right to grow on their own? Sure. But it just feels so cheap, for lack of a better term, to just pop over to Alexander. Like, what? Are, are you being serious here? People for who people who are fans of the football team have been arguing for decades about getting the team back into the city and you've got one little measly issue which i'm going to call it because again you own the building you're going to pop over alexandria the whole point of building ownership is that you are somewhat committed to the landscape around you for the long run i get it you want the mayor to clean up all the crime and all this other stuff but again sorry there was a pandemic sorry people aren't coming back these are the risks you take when you buy buildings as a billionaire it just seems like it's so lame to be like oh well yeah obviously we have a good reason to leave no you feel like a bully it seems like there's a billionaire being a bully for something that that billionaire doesn't deserve Good devil's advocate question, Craig. Great take, Clinton. <laughs> really, really got it going. Got you wound up. Uh, but I, I do think, like, I don't know. It's also easier for me, but I, I have disposable income. And just sure. like the time, you know, to go there. And it's just, it's different. 
Um, and I fully acknowledge that privilege in terms of that. It's probably not as big of a deal for me to go to Potomac yards. Whereas a lot of people that have been going to wizards games for a long time, it will be. And I not, think that's an important reality to acknowledge. Not to mention who it's going to affect in terms of the employment in the buildings. That's yes. something I think about a lot when it comes to black folks in D.C. and how the entire fabric and framework human-wise operates when it comes to these functions. So that leads us to the city. And here is my... I don't even know if it's like my take, but like a theory that I have floated that I think is very well backed in sure. the research that... I think should be up for consideration here, which is that this could be a tremendous opportunity for DC. Okay. As much as it hurts the soul, it is very clear that the economics say stadiums are bad for cities. They right. don't make the money back. Now, I would also push back on the pure economists and say like, yeah, they're entertainment. When you go to the movies, you don't expect a return on your investment. You expect to see a movie. So like there's, there's pushback there. But on, on the investment side, on the money side, it's often sold as like, hey, this thing is going to bring business to the area. And it's like, actually, it's probably not. Um, and I think that because of these gigantic macroeconomic factors, aka the whole world economy has changed post-pandemic, specifically sure. urban economies have changed, and areas like downtown DC, which to be clear is a business district. There are law firms and every other kind of business that are like major companies that had business space down there. And those places are empty because of hybrid work now. And with that said, you know, Ted's got a land lease. I would kick him off the land and be like, nah, bro, you left. I would reimagine that area, by the way, in a city with building height limits, which limits your ability to build housing because you can't build up. You can only build out. You've now created a massive potential area of space. They're already converting a lot of building, like business buildings into condos and, yeah. and housing. If I'm the city, I look at this as an opportunity to create affordable housing or subsidized housing or whatever yeah. version of that. Please do not build any more freaking luxury condos, right. but build affordable housing, it, you know, so put, put food in a food desert. Uh, out, outside of that giant that's on 7th Street, like you get south of that. There's not a lot of grocery stores, so let's get those. The restaurants can stay if they want to because now all of a sudden you're going to have people living there and you can have gyms and all these other things that happen in all these other neighborhoods. And you could revitalize that area, not as a place that people work and then go to events because people don't live in an area where you go to events. They can make it a place that people live. And I think if they don't take that opportunity I feel like that's a that's a loss. And you do what the Atlanta did with Turner Field when they moved to Cobb County. And the revitalization of that area has been real. That's the exact argument that a lot of people have been using for the RFK site for many years. And I do not discount it whatsoever. The only reason I don't think that that is, lines up with what the reality of right now is, not that it's, not that it's incorrect, and I'll get to that in a second, is that the building's already there. And that, that's the main mm -hmm. issue is that this would be one thing if we were talking about starting something new and options from zero, but that's not the A case. A what's going to have to happen with RFK. Correct. Correct. And the other thing is that, guess what? They could do that anyway. And so could Theodore in terms of revitalizing areas. I mean that in terms of affordable housing and whatever. I realize the space isn't the same, but overall, I just think it sends such a bad message from monumental to say well when the going gets rough we're gone like that's so antithetical to the reason why abe poland was there to begin with number one and number two like 
Bro, this is what we're all trying to do is make the space livable for everybody. As a sports owner, to think that you just get to dart in, dart out as it suits your fancy, that to me feels so disingenuous. And so, yes, of course, I agree with you. Like, there's a million places I would love to use to recreate or repurpose for affordable housing, particularly in that part of town where so many people, as you know, you can see on the street struggling. So that's not, to me, mutually exclusive. Although mm-hmm. I do think there is something to be said for the city being like, if you want to go, you're gone. Give us the building back. You don't get to do both. And right. he said today, Leonsis did, that, oh, yeah, he's going to keep that building filled. The Mystics will play there. It's a growth opportunity. And there'll be all sorts of other things. Well, then, bro, why are you leaving? You know what I'm saying? Like, this doesn't make right. sense. None of the logic actually adds up. And most of it isn't even that emotional, if, if I'm being honest. Like, this, this doesn't seem like a smart thing to do, considering what could be versus what was. And that's where I'm just baffled at all these people who are like, well, Ted's got a right to do this. Ted's got a right to do that. Like, who are you rooting for? Are you rooting for the team? Are you rooting for your friends? Are you rooting for other fans? Are you rooting for a guy to make more money on a land deal? Like, I, I'm just never going to understand that. Do you think that uh, obviously Bowser and city council came out last night after the deal was basically done? Like everyone's like, oh, crap, there's an announcement tomorrow. Yeah. Uh, And they're like, oh, here's five hundred million dollars. And Leontes had wanted six. Do you think that that Bowser and city council made a mistake dragging their feet on this? Yes, but not in the way that many people think that they do. I think that they figured that Ted would not have the audacity to walk out on a building he owns from downtown DC, some of the most prime real estate in the city as an opportunity to go somewhere else. That said, I do think that this last offer was, and I'm stealing this from a tweet. I'm sorry. I did not see who it was by. It basically said, this is the equivalent of, you know, pulling up to McDonald's at the drive through at nine 59 and ordering everything off the breakfast menu, you know? And like, I get that part, but I just think that in good faith operation, there's no real world when you can look at, having a sort of, I don't know, introductory press conference that's non-binding with another civic leader across the way is going to score you points with the people that were supporting your business to begin with. That's the issue here. It's just like, man, who do you think you are on a lot of levels? Why do you think this is going to work? And even if it does, at what cost? And is the cost always monetary? That's always going to be an issue for sports owners in general. Is the cost monetarily worth the cost of the emotion and the passion of your fans? If you don't have winning teams, you'll never really be able to understand that relationship quite well anyway. So that actually uh, kind of reminded me what we were going to talk about today is if player salaries are getting out of control after the Otani contract. Um, and that also seemed relevant here, but that's probably going to wind up being our topic for next week. Uh, thank you, sir, for your perspective as always, and for making me a lot smarter on all these topics over the years. And uh, we'll talk to you about uh, players making go lots bullets, of money instead of billionaires. Go bullets, go bullets. <laughs> you the man, you the man. That's the reason I'm not a Theodore fan. Goodbye, Gregory. Goodbye, Clinton. All right. That uh, was Clinton Yates here on the Hoffman Show when we get back. Uh, Is this deal actually done or does it involve the same hurdle that so many of our days do here in the DMV? Traffic. Uh, Adam Tuss, transportation reporter for NBC4, joins us next.